As we've journeyed through the Gospel of John together throughout this year, we've, we've seen and heard Jesus make some really remarkable statements about himself, the claims and titles that he made in order, in order to deliberately uh, challenge and catch the attention of those listening. John 6, he said, I am the bread of life. John 8, I am the light of the world. John 10, I am the door. John 10 again and 11, I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life, John 11. I am the way and the truth and the life, John chapter 14. And this week, we're going to step into John chapter 15. And we find another statement from Jesus, the final one actually, where he says, I am the vine. Now we, we dig, over, dig into that over the next 20 minutes or so. I'm really hoping that something's unlocked in your heart today as we hear about the fact that Jesus says, I am the vine. So let's read in John chapter 15 from the beginning. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. Verse 15, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command, love each other. Now these are the final comments that Jesus makes to his people, so we can be sure that they'd be very poignant, they'd be very carefully chosen words. He's nearing the end of his public ministry. He's walked closely with his people for a long time now. He's worked with them, he's relaxed with them, He's traveled together with them. They've become very well acquainted with each other. They've experienced some truly amazing times together. And these people would have heard Jesus perhaps snore as he slept. They would have heard his stomach rumble as he got hungry. They would have seen him laugh out loud at a funny story. They would have seen so clearly by now the true humanity of Jesus, how he was in the early morning, how he was in the heat of the midday, what he was like in the cool watches of the night. And now he's teaching them, I am the vine, you are the branches. 
I just want you to allow yourself to imagine that. Let that, the imagery of that play in your minds. What, what do you see as you think about a vine and some branches? I'm imagining this larger trunk going into rich soil, and it has lots of thinner, more fragile branches stemming off in all kinds of directions. And at the, sum, the end of some of those branches hang these beautiful, rich, juicy bunches of grapes. Now, picturing a healthy vine, there's fullness to it, right? There's a sense that something is being cultivated from the root upwards. So imagery like, imagery like this runs throughout the whole Bible. Metaphors representing the truth that God wants to cultivate. He wants to nurture and develop and produce something in us that is good. Not just an isolated thing in us, but through him as we are directly joined with him. Divine is the larger context, the framework in which the stories of every branch, me and you, find ourselves. Friends, the, the imagery that Jesus chooses to use at this stage is simple, it's timeless, and it's very practical. It's packed full of vision that we might need to live out a life. Let me explain a bit. So my observation of life, my life and those, that, of the, those who I walk closely with, is that it can get complicated very quickly and easily. My observation is also that of church life, it can become quite complex quite quickly as well. We gravitate towards complicated and complex without much effort. And it seems to me that Jesus wants something different for his followers. He describes himself as the true vine. You read it in verse 1, the true vine. So that stands to reason that there is also a false vine that we can be attached to as well, right? If I'm busier, if I'm more active, if I'm more streamlined in how I get things done, I can cram th more things in. I can add more things to my diary and my to-do list. I can be more productive. I can earn more money. I can get more stuff. I can be m more free and satisfied, become more worthwhile in the eyes of those around me, right? They're some of the key markers of fruitfulness that our culture, the culture that I live in, in 21st century London, seems to promote. Faster, bigger, stronger, richer is better. I want my, my food to be served quickly. I want my train to arrive at exactly the right time. I want my children to be tucked up in bed by seven o'clock and no later. I want nobody to cut in front of me in the line. I want functioning Wi-Fi and a phone battery that's full 24-7. I want everything around me to happen without any delay. And at the same time, my mind can also be spinning. Did I put the bins out? Did I buy that birthday card? Have I put my gym kit in the wash? Has that person replied to me on that WhatsApp group? What's next on my news feed? What's, what's the next thing that I'm going to watch on that streaming platform? My day and my mind can so quickly feel like it's a treadmill, just churning stuff out at a quick rate. And I wonder why life can feel so disorientating and God can so often feel silent or distant. Now, what I've just described doesn't feel like a life being well cultivated. It feels like a life being overwhelmed. We easily exchange fruitfulness in place of busyness, character for success, holiness for comfort and convenience. And so it's interesting that God wants us to focus very deliberately on the imagery of a vine here. He keeps things simple. Because he knows that we have a tendency just to make stuff complicated. 
You ever seen an anxious apple tree? You ever seen a pear tree looking worried? No, when you picture the grapes growing on this vine, the vine isn't groaning and straining under the effort, no. Does it happen quickly and out of the rhythms of its seasons? No. Have the tactics changed? Not really, no. The vine still needs to have the right mix of water and sun and well-nourished soil. Not much has ever altered in that regard ever since the first vine was grown. Now, in the moments where Jesus could have been tempted to get out the flip chart and start running through like who's going to be doing what and delegating tasks and showing them a plan forward with lots of graphs and, and drawings, trying to kickstart something and keep them focused. No, he, he actually gets them focusing on something far more plain, perhaps, than we would be happy to settle with today. A vine? A gardener, really? And in verse 17, we've just read it, Jesus uses not just words and, and, or a phrase, but a suge- not even a suggestion, but a command. I don't know if you picked it up, 10 times, remain. Remain in me. Now, the, the verses I just read were from the New International Version translation, but in other translations, it says the word abide instead of remain. It means stay, endure, continue. In 1 Thessalonians 3, Paul refers to standing firm in the Lord. That's not quick. That's not catchy, is it? I've got places to go, I've got people to see, I've got life to live, I've got things to do. No, Jesus reminds me here, he is the vine, I am the branch, and my father is the gardener. He tends, he cultivates the best things out of what is being grown in my life. Now, I was recently visiting a, a kitchen garden near to where I live, and looking around, there was this enormous array of fresh produce being grown, and nobody there would have argued with the fact that skilled hands were not at work with those plants, those trellises. Such life and such growth taking place because there was a gardener at work. A true gardener knows the times of year, knows the soil, is present, is active, is hands-on. And throughout the seasons in our life, and the stuff that we'd love to see happen in our lives, God is active, and he's aware. He is the true vine. What we're invited into, what we're called to be a part of, is not primarily of ourselves. It's not of our own making and our own doing. Your job, your family, your hobbies, your aspects of your life that you try and give yourself to, they are not the vine that you are supposed to be sustained by. He is the vine. He is the gardener. These verses reveal to us that God is one who delights in bringing true fruit to bear in our lives. God is dedicated to showcasing his love and working out things that are for our good. And God is committed to the process of our development, which might sometimes include the discomfort of pruning. But he's also calling me and you to be persistent, continual, to have an endurance in him. If you're hearing that today, I need you to hear, this is the calling over your life. You might be hearing me say that and you might feel weak or hurt or empty or tempted or far from him. I'm praying for you. I'm praying as I, before this message goes out, I'm praying for it as it's being heard by different people all around the nations that in the coming days and weeks you discover what it means like, what it looks like for being a person to remain in him. 
by his wonderful grace, draw near. Seek first his kingdom. These verses show us that he's with us, he's committed, and he will abide in you too. His glory is not absent, it's not about to diminish in your life. Look at verse 16, it tells me that he chose me before I chose him. I'm not doing him a favor by drawing close to him. Do you find that humbling? Do you find that encouraging? Because I do. Underneath the, 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 all my wavering and my struggles to, to live out life to the full are these eternal, loving arms of a father who chose me, who wants me, who knows me. And some of the fruit or some of the fruitfulness of that abiding, uh, abiding, that remaining in him, might not look obvious or successful to what the world would see as fruit. Bearing fruit, being fruitful, looks different to Jesus. Wealth, prosperity, influence, comfort, achievement, security, no, those are not the markers. That's not what Jesus is promising us as we remain in him. Galatians 5 reveals to us what the fruits of the spirit, of God working into our inner being, into our character might look like. Love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Those things seem too subtle, right? They, they're too unmeasurable. We like targets, we like comparison, we like stuff that can be measured. Gentleness seems boring, doesn't it? Self-control is a bit too tedious. No, they are the fruits. They are the priorities that God is committed to developing within us if we remain in him. So those characteristics that might develop over a slower pace, over a longer time than we might have patience for, they are the things that provide evidence of a life cultivated in God, by God. Do you know, there are no finished articles. There are no experts on the vine. We are all branches. I could talk for hours about my struggles and about my insecurities. There's, there's no one perfect on the vine, on the, within the branches apart from the vine. But all those who give their lives to Jesus can expect there to be markers of obedience and delight and fruitfulness gradually growing in their lives. Friends, it's very difficult to say that you love God if you do not love obeying his son, Jesus. It's easy to want the byproduct of holiness without any of the commitment or the discipline. It's tempting to say, oh, I'll love God, I'll pursue him, but only if it fits in with my schedule or if he does exactly what I need him to do. I don't think that's what he calls us into. When our lives are hidden in Christ, as Paul refers to in Colossians 3, the Spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, brings forth a joy within our obedience to him. We're invited to pursue him, not from a place of obligation or just out of loyalty or from a place of guilt, but from a place of delight. So there are times when my feelings for him and my faith for him and, and wanting to abide in him may not be strong, but I believe that God wants to bring evidence of our discipleship into the foreground of our lives at every opportunity. So as a pastor, one of my great privileges in life is regular first-hand stories of people displaying continual, understated, yet wonderful demonstrations of faith in Jesus 
just through the, norm, the normality of a regular week. It's happening all over the place. I hear story after story. It's wonderful. Okay, so you might be thinking, how? How then is this kind of character development, this kind of commitment to a different or maybe a holier way of living even possible? What does it look like for me to remain in Jesus? Well, let me use this illustration for a second. When a musician picks up his or her instrument, a guitar, for example, there are several moments when it's played and it becomes quickly evident that some tuning needs to take place, right? Some of those strings don't strum as they should. Each time the guitar is played, those six strings just need readjusting. They need a bit of fine tuning along the way to one extent or another. Sometimes it could be a lot because the strings are just sounding terrible and just need a, a great work doing to them. Other times it's just subtle tuning here and there. We live in a world, we engage in relationships and activities that can easily cause a detuning to happen within us very quickly. Our hearts and our minds can easily slip out of tune when we don't prioritise habits that help us to draw near to Jesus. I was speaking with a 12-year-old just a couple of days ago, and he said, why does it seem like something always feels out of place in life so easily? It's a little 12-year-old guy just making such a wise observation. He's right. Life doesn't often feel or look or sound quite right. I'm sure you can agree with that. But as far as I can see it, from looking at the life of Jesus as we've done over the last few months in this gospel, there are a handful of means by which we can help tune our hearts and our minds to live like Jesus and to love like he did. So I want to get as practical as I know how to just for a moment. And I'm desperately keen as I share these little pointers with you that this is not to be heard as like a checklist of stuff that we must do in order to earn God's affections or become more lovable in his sight. We cannot stack up enough credits or make ourselves holy or good enough. We can't graft ourselves onto the vine by some religious behavior. God is love. God cultivates. God has paved the way for us on the cross. He initiates, we respond. We cannot add to it in any way. And God invites us to these practices so that we might discover over and over again how majestic he is, how committed he is, and how gracious he is. Because we will get them wrong often. Grace-filled habits that are also simple and timeless. We're not invited just to believe stuff about Jesus. He invites us to start practice living like him as well. And the only way that I've experienced this in the time that I've walked with him, the only way that I know how to remain in him and how to be aware of his love and his guidance through every season is through six simple practices, six tuning pegs, just to use that analogy again. Now taking on all six is gonna be overwhelming, so maybe just consider like one of them in the first instance this week. So first of all, Regular times of silence and solitude, especially at the start of the day, I find that helpful. Before the rush of the day commences, before we start getting caught up by other things and other distractions, just taking a moment, maybe even just a few minutes, even while the kettle boils, to just pause. Breathe deep. Be still. Quietly just invite the Holy Spirit to meet with us, to remind us that He is God before any other influence starts trying to distract or vie for our attention. 
Second, just regularly speaking with God, in communion with him, a flow in and out of conversation with the one who made us, the one who is present, the one who is not swayed by our mood swings or our confusion in any given moment. God is not limited to a prayer space at the bus stop, while you're doing the chores in the house, as you wait for a friend to turn up at the park, as you're changing a nappy, as you're making a cup of coffee, waiting at the doctor's surgery. We can be in any one of those situations and in the Father's presence. Sometimes it might be an extended, um, detailed unpacking of who we are and how we're feeling and what we are looking to him to do in our lives. Other times it might just be a quick SOS, help God, I need you to step in here now. Third practice would be, for me, regularly fasting. In my experience, the Western church doesn't seem to speak a lot about this practice, this, this discipline of removing something from our day, usually a meal, but it doesn't always have to be food-related, in order to make deliberate space to prioritize God. Deliberately not taking something in so that we can intentionally focus on him instead. It's ancient. It was practiced by Jesus. And it's, it's been aiding countless generations ever since. Yet we seem to treat it as a discipline that's kind of worthless or weird. It's not. I believe that a desire for drawing near to Jesus would be increased if we routinely practiced the, the, the discipline of fasting. Fourth, regular time reading the Bible. Just being in the Word of God, maybe even writing it down if you feel like there's a word or a phrase or a, a, a verse that jumps out at you. For years and years now, I've journeyed through a Bible in a year reading plan, a daily plan. It means that I can take in all Scripture. It means that I don't just uh, nitpick the bits that I like and leave out the stuff that might be harder to contend with. I'm actually a really slow reader, but I find it really manageable. It's not overwhelming. Find something that works for you. And don't beat yourself up if you don't stick to it or if it needs some tweaking along the way. Read a verse, read a chapter, whatever, but routinely considering God's word and focusing on scripture helps us to see what the gardener of our lives is actually doing. That was true for me even just this morning. Fifth one, practicing a proper day of rest once a week. Once a week? No, surely not. No, once a week. This has absolutely altered my mindset and the state of my heart more than I could possibly describe in this short talk. Carving out a day that's filled with the food that I love, the settings that I love, the people that I love, the music that I love, usually involves staying off my phone. It usually involves taking a nap. I love it. A day that is deliberately unhurried and thankful, a day where we can truly replenish. Often this is going to involve me and you saying no to some stuff in order to maintain that margin. We have a busy week at work and then somehow a day of rest becomes busy as well because we haven't said no to some stuff. Some weeks this happens more effectively in my house than others, but I'm convinced that it has served to draw us closer as a family to God. And lastly, the sixth one, being regularly committed to a small group a group of people who you can share life and faith with in community. At Everyday, we call these groups life groups, and I just cannot overstate how important this has been for my wife and I over the last 15 or so years. That ongoing commitment 
to a small group of people who have experienced life and faith in a different way to how we have, who have different backgrounds and mindsets and aspirations and needs. It can sometimes feel quite repetitive. It can sometimes feel quite understated. And yet, through every season of life that I've journeyed through, it has just been so valuable. And I believe that what God wants to be cultivating in us within those settings does more for our good than we could possibly imagine. Those conversations, those prayer times, those meals together, going for those walks together, caring and sharing, that joining with other people is so significant. Now in these verses we've just read, Jesus calls us friend. You hear that? The maker of all heaven and earth has called us friend. And he calls us to show love to one another. Well, what better place is that to be realized and to be practiced and explored than within a small, diverse community of people? In this consumer-orientated age that we live in, we can often feel so tempted to expect the benefits of community without the, incon- without the inconvenience of commitment. But a devotion to one another reflects the devotion that God has for me and you. God wants each of us to be life-giving, to become life-giving to others. People connected to Jesus bring life and nourishment to others for God's glory. So the towns and the cities that we live in are so full of lonely and isolated people. And in these verses, the maker of heaven and earth joyfully says, I'll be your friend. And then he says, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you, now love one another. Do you know, love is hard. Steadfast love towards somebody who, be, who could be irritating or who is really unlike you is harder even still. That's why we must always seek to show and receive love through the lens of the life of Jesus. He perfected it, we imitate it. We're called to show love to each other, not because we are so lovable, but because we were first so loved by him. Friends, it's unlikely that we will see a relationship develop with God in a casual and a haphazard kind of way. There needs to be some intentionality. There needs to be a measure of discipline in the choices that we make with him in mind. And so these habits, these practices that I've just rattled off, they sit in the light of the finished work of Jesus on the cross. And so we are invited to enjoy them. We're not obligated to uphold them. We're invited to enjoy them. If the fruit of your life, if if the stuff that's going on in your character and in how you're developing is not what you'd like it to be right now, my hope is that this quick focus on John 15, this invitation from Jesus to remain in him, might come at a helpful time. God wants you to flourish in life and he wants your life to be nourishing to other people. That doesn't mean he's going to make life easier. It doesn't mean he's going to make it more comfortable or more successful. That's a lie to think that. And many people speak that message, but that's not what Jesus came to establish. But he has good things that he wants to work into who we are if we take him at his word and put our trust in him. That's true whether you've walked with him for decades or whether you're hearing this for the first time today. I'm going to pray. I'm going to trust that the Holy Spirit is taking what I've shared and doing a work on your heart and in your life and going to move out the way. Let's pray. 
Lord, I thank you that our lives are not our own. I thank you that we put our faith in the life of the perfect son, Jesus, and he shows us the way that we're to live, and it's a way that's for our good. But more importantly, it's for your glory. Please fill us with the Holy Spirit today so that we might grow in an understanding and a, a desire to display lives that are enjoying you more. Our hope, our joy. I ask for it in the name of Jesus and for his glory. Amen. God bless.